So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. How are you going to listen to Smashing Security podcast while you're in the secure room? Right, no, yeah. no, no. So I'm not going to say no speakers. My idea, it's ultrasonics, right? Get a chihuahua. Every office needs a chihuahua. <laughs> A little Maltese. Or a, oh, a lovely Maltese. I love Maltese. I love those. A Poobrador. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's the opposite of a Labradoodle. <laughs> and it could pick up It could pick up the high frequencies and go, yep, 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 yep. Poobrador could be Pug and Labrador, actually. That's a poor, poor Labrador. <laughs> poor Pug. <laughs> <laughs> Smashing Security, Episode 69, Crypto Mining, China, and Bob Ross, with Carol Terrio and Graham Clue. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Smashing Security, Episode number 69. My name is Graham Cluley. I'm Carol Terrio, or Carol Terrio. Oh, I see. Oh, la, la. And we are joined today by Monsieur Jean Urs. <laughs> <laughs> Of the Anti-Malware Testing Standards Organization, UMPSO. Hi, John. Bonjour, bonjour. <laughs> so, uh, John, UMPSO, it's not a, re- it's not a reviews agency, is it? It's, you're sort of setting standards for tests instead, as I remember. That's right. Yes. We're trying to, to guide people who do tests to do it better. Have you thought about rating and considering reviews instead? Because we've had a couple of bad reviews on iTunes. Uh, for this podcast in the last week or so. Yeah. And I, I really would like an independent organization like yourself to, to take a look at them and give us your feedback. Are they fair? Uh, that, that kind of thing. How does that sound to you? Are reviews supposed to be fair? Isn't the point of them that it's people just venting? <laughs> well, I don't know. You're the one who's testing reviewers. Crow, would you like to start off by reading out the first bad review that Smashing Security has had at least this week? Oh, not not ever. <laughs> no, not ever. Okay. <laughs> okay, so it's entitled Could Have Been Good by Vrai Chevalier from the United States, or Ooh. Real Horse is a translation. Do you think that's Maurice's brother or something? Brother Vray. <laughs> Vray's got a nice name, actually. Now, it says, this could have been a good tech podcast, but the bigotry spoils it. I cannot and will not abide bigotry. Such a shame. So, he yeah. seems bigoted against bigotry, but I don't know what bigotry he's referring to. 
bigoted against well, you've been You've been spreading so much bigotry you can't pick out what he's... <laughs> no, uh, yeah, last week Graham talked about aliens and put a lot of blame on them. And so maybe he's an alien enthusiast and thinks that's unfair. He's being don't, speciesist. Don't forget, our, our, our special guest last week, um, James Thompson, he had a bit of a go at cyclists, or was it drivers? I wasn't quite clear. He was having a go at everyone. So it might have been a few people. I mean, it's possible. I mean, a, a few episodes, girl, you, you spoke about gun control. It can't have been that, though. I mean, everyone's sort of sensible about that, aren't they? Well, it starts off pretty reasonable when they say could be good. I mean, there's there's not much wrong with that, I guess. Yeah, the use of the term bigot seems a little unnecessary. I mean, from from what it sounds like, all you've been doing is venting strong opinions. Surely that's what podcasts are for. If you listen to a podcast and then you're shocked that there's strong opinions on it, then maybe you should be listening to something different. Thank you. Now, there's one other review which came in this week, uh, which was a little bit negative with one star, and that was from someone in the United States. Again, it seems to be the United States. Um, His username is not a bonehead like you. Um, I don't mean you, John. I think that's just sort of generic you. Uh, Subject title, worst podcast in history. Wow. Uh, And he's... (laughs) I think that's that's quite an award. Well, quite an accolade, I would quite like. An accolade. So we've won to be award winning for a while. And it says you can tell listening to these morons that they just don't get it. I think it's it as in it rather than it because uh, it's not capitalised. He must be talking about the guests, John. If if you were to sort of uh, finger your nautical beard and, and muse about this, well, where, where do you think this chap's coming from? Well, he's not really going into a lot of detail. Also, I'd be I'd be concerned that worst podcast in history is actually somebody's trademark. There's probably a reward scheme that's giving that out that he's using. A bit like the raspberries. I think what we'd like is obviously we accept that not everyone's going to love our podcast. That's and that's fine, right? You know, that's totally fine. Totally fine. We'd, we'd be upset if we had a bland podcast that people didn't hate. Expect them just not to listen anymore. But if yeah. they feel the need to tell us this way, um... <laughs> we need more detail in our bad reviews, specifically. Who are you upset with? Which of the hosts? Kroll, for instance, is guests. one of the hosts. Wow. Um, and wow. All the guests, okay. for instance. John, no pressure, but people will be judging you on your performance today. Get into detail. Maybe give us a timestamp of what in particular upset you, and then we can fix it in the future. Um, I, I really would prefer oh, them not you. to do that to me. I- but you have to improve, and just saying really bad one star doesn't really help you very much. No, You need I specifics. Know. I agree. I would like specifics very much. Because if we don't keep getting good reviews, we're not going to be able to get decent sponsors, are we? Segway. Smooth. Smooth. This episode of Smashing Security is sponsored by LastPass. LastPass Enterprise makes password security effortless for your organization. LastPass Enterprise simplifies password management for companies of every size. With the right tools to secure your business with centralized control of employee passwords and applications. But LastPass isn't just for enterprises. It's an equally great solution for business teams, families, and single users. Go to smashingsecurity.com forward slash LastPass to see why LastPass is the trusted enterprise password manager of over 33,000 businesses. So, guys, I want to ask you this week a very important question. How do you feel about paying a subscription for the software you run on your computer? 
perfectly fine with that. I mean, I preferred, I obviously preferred the old model of buying software once and for all, and it's yours. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are advantages uh, to subscription models. Obviously, things can be kept up to date. Vulnerabilities are addressed very quickly. A lot of software does seem to be moving that way. Of course, Microsoft Office is moving that way. You know, you can pay a monthly fee to get the new features as they're developed, and you don't have to pay a huge amount, you know, if a major new version comes out. And, of course, it helps support developers as well. Mm -hmm. It means, you know, rather than you just having paid them in 2005, they're continuing to get support from you. So yeah. I, I actually think it's it's reasonable to do, uh, as long as the fee isn't too big. Not everyone loves them, though, which is understandable, because people are so used now to 99 mm. cents mm-hmm. kind of apps on your or phone, free. or free even, right? Apps maybe which are advertising-supported, or just, you should just yeah. do this for free because you should just do this for free. And that's why a developer called Cubix has um, made a change in its calendar app, a rather popular Mac calendar app, imaginatively called Calendar 2. Okay. <laughs> there is a calendar app. I've not heard of this app. You've probably heard of Calendar, which comes yeah, shipped yeah. with Mac OS. Um, but this is Calendar 2 because it's better, you know, a bit like, um, I don't know, oh, gotcha, Back gotcha. to the Future yeah. 2 or something like that. Uh, and it recently shipped a new version of software with a new feature. Rather than paying a flat fee, of $17.99 or your 99 cents per month subscription to gain access to all of the app's advanced features, you can all get those advanced features for free. Yes, for free. Hooray. For free Yay. with no strings attached. Ooh, There's not one not string. Not one string attached. No, not one sing. No, absolutely none, John. Absolutely none. There's no way that you can. Well, there is one little thing. Okay. Just one little tiny thing. <laughs> one little tiny, 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 weeny, weeny, weeny thing. And what it does is it says, look, if you want all of our advanced features for free rather than paying up, you can. Uh, choose this, which is to unobtrusively generate cryptocurrency in the background. Ah, another one. You've covered this recently as well. Well, crypto mining has really become the fad de jour, hasn't Mm -hmm. it? Uh, Which is French, I believe. And... (laughs) Crypto jacking as well. Crypto jacking, I think you're finished. (laughs) Jack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so... Everyone knows the iPhone app store, right? It's a walled garden, Apple controls, only vetted apps are allowed inside, and it's They're control freaks at Apple, and it's one of the ways in which Apple has managed to keep malicious attackers off iPhones and iPads, and mostly it's it's worked really well. Mm -hmm. Basically, developers have to jump through lots of hoops to get their smartphones vetted and, and out there for the audience. And approved, yeah, exactly. If you don't have an Apple Mac, however, a desktop computer like a Windows PC, but better because it's running apple mac um (laughs) you get something very similar which is called the mac app store um where you can choose to get your apps from it's really super because it automatically updates it's like a one-click install it's easy it's one place and the idea is that apple has vetted it and it will lead you to believe that it is safer as a result honestly that would be my assumption well You would like to think so. Oh, God. Okay. So it all depends, of course, on how well Apple polices the Mac App Store. Let's go back to Calendar 2, because, like I said, Calendar 2 is crypto mining you, right? Or asking for that permission. Well... Does it specifically say that it's going to do that, or does it quietly in the background? It does tell you that it's going to do it, yes. But there's a couple of things here. First of all, is Apple allowing apps that are open and public about crypto mining into the App Store. You know, what is their official policy on that? Mm. Are they? If that's all right with them, then it'd be good to know that, right? Or 
did Apple miss this app? Because mm-hmm. in this particular case, it tells you it's going to do it. It gives you the option to say, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. But according to some of the users, it did it anyway. There is a guy called Fred Laxton who installed the app and insists he did not choose to uh, do the crypto mining, to to opt into that. Right. And as a consequence, it was mining Monero cryptocurrency without his permission and raised his CPU to 200%. <gasps> The app has been pulled from the App Store, but not before security researcher Patrick Wardle managed to grab a screenshot of some of the bad reviews it was getting in the App Store. So JFM25090 said, I was pleased with this app till it started doing weird things. (laughs) Kept on popping up alerts over and over again. I kept on hitting ignore report. It just kept on popping up. And an app should not be allowed to make a sudden change to your settings and turn into crypto mining machines. I immediately reviewed it and came to write a review. And I never write reviews. <laughs> right. S- some so advice for... That's another one-star uh, review. <laughs> it was. A, it was. <laughs> so this, this, this does suggest that it may have bypassed and filtered through the safety net, doesn't it? Because this kind of behavior is not something that you see very often in the Apple Store apps. As far as I know, this may be the first time that this particular thing has happened. Um, mm. Big M37, whatever that is, he says uh, this shady practice is not acceptable. I don't know how this app passed Apple's quality inspection. Yeah. So not ideal mm. by any means. But the I app's think. been pulled now. Yes. Well, it also it depends a lot on on whether Apple permits that kind of thing yes. and how upfront it was about it because it it seems to me like a pretty reasonable way of making money out of software if you're trying to defeat this horrible thing we've got into where everybody wants everything to be free. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of worse choices you could make. You know, you could be bundling all kinds of crapware with with your software that you're trying to monetize. You could be hijacking people's search oh, sure. settings to point them to somewhere else to make a few pennies but and this one seems reasonable we've all seen we've all seen examples of that kind of abuse going on in the past and the problems that that can cause i completely agree so what we need to know is what's apple's policy yeah and presuming they have a policy of saying well you can do this if you're upfront about it how come they didn't spot that it actually did it even when people thought they hadn't enabled that feature because it does appear there's a bug the developer cubix has blamed the problem on a perfect storm of bugs that didn't work as planned. I wonder if Apple would be able to limit the amount of processing power it would provide should it decide that crypto mining is a viable solution for apps, providing that they're upfront and clear about it. You mean actually in the operating system to say, oh, that app is using too much? Yeah, or they'd ha- I guess they'd have to set limits for the app itself. I don't think that shouldn't be too difficult. Yeah, but there may be a danger. You know, why, why should Chrome be allowed to use so much of my computer's resources? That's a real hog or something like Final Cut Pro or Logic. You know, there are, there are some apps which do use a huge amount of resources perfectly legitimately. I, like you, John, I think maybe crypto mining is okay if it's public and if it's definitely agreed to. The problem is that there were bugs. Cubix told Ars Technica it's supposed to have only used between 10 and 20% of a Mac's computing power, depending on whether it was plugged in or not. But it actually used much larger amounts. And they were using third-party crypto mining code, which they, uh, they hadn't viewed, they uh, didn't know about. Service chains. And, <laughs> and uh, so they didn't really have visibility on exactly how it was going to work. And it seems that uh, it was doing too much. So they've ripped out the app for now. They're going to put out a new version which doesn't include it. But... I suppose our message to Mac users and other computer users out there about their apps is 
take heed. <laughs> and uh, developers, make sure you don't ship buggy crypto mining code. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's always difficult. If you're, if you're building an app and you want to find a way of monetizing it, you're going to go to somewhere else and just get some stuff to slap in there, whether it's uh, advertising or some crypto mining like this. Well, you probably are, aren't you? You're not going to write, not going to roll it yourself because the mm-hmm. chances are you're going to make even bigger blunders if you do that. So what you're saying in this is it's a supply chain issue and they're saying it's a perfect storm. They don't know how it happened. Apple are saying, God, I don't know how we missed it. Um, our big question is, Apple, are you going to be allowing this in your apps or not? Exactly. Right. And I, I think they are the ones who've really failed here. Apple promises a vetted app store. It's unclear what its rules are regarding this. And it allowed this app to go through, which has upset its users. Okay, okay, and if they it pulled wants the app. Make, okay, calm down. Well, only because the press and others, you know, caused the biggest... All right, look. Hey, Carol, if this, this app has got many thousands of users, right? What would happen if it was an app which was being used by millions and millions of people? If this kind of thing can leak through... What other malicious activity could potentially leak through? That's what we need to worry about. You're just a bleeding heart, aren't you? <laughs> but it's not really malicious. I mean, all it's doing is using more resources than it was supposed to. Oh, really? And it rendering your machine basically useless because of all the processing power it's using? John, if I'm using my computer to also act as my iron lung, keeping me alive, <laughs> and suddenly my calendar software is using up all of its resources. I find yes. that pretty malicious. I would, I would recommend right? if your computer is, is that important, then pay, pay real money <laughs> for your software. Yeah, Just pay for your apps. John, what's your story for us this week? So I wanted to talk a little bit about the mosquito attack. <laughs> which has been getting a lot of, lot of headlines the last last week or so. It's basically yet another way to defeat air gapping. So for those who aren't down with the terminology, air gapping is uh, it's a pretty common thing in, in keeping computers secure. It's basically a step up from firewalling. If you if you want to keep your machine safe, but you need it to be connected to the internet, yeah. you use a firewall. If you want it to be really safe and you're not too worried about it being connected to the internet, then you have it air gapped, which basically means unplugged. It's It's not connected to any network. Yeah, I mean, that's the, probably the safest machine. That's what I've always thought. Totally. The safest machine you can have is one that's completely disconnected standalone. Air gapping is pretty good, but if you really want to make it secure, then you also unplug it from well, the yes, electricity. That is, right? <laughs> you smash it up with a big hammer. Yeah. Yeah. Put a plant on it and done. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a concept that's used. Fairly as standard. I mean, I've I've worked in air gapped environments. It's it's something you use when you if you have a like a, a, a production room where you're making your software. Yeah. And you make sure that only stuff that you absolutely trust goes into that room. You would maybe like you burn it to a CD and you scan the CD before you put it in any of the machines in the air gapped room. Yep. And everything's vetted. Totally. Yes. And mm-hmm. exactly. And obviously in uh, TV and movie shows, you, you often see um, that the bad guys will send a USB to the cops and the cops will plug it into their computer to see the, <laughs> yes. the secret files that have been stolen. And then yeah. they say, oh, no, we've infected the entire FBI network. And then obviously <laughs> in real life, they would do that on an air gap machine. They would just take it to a safe machine that wasn't connected to their network and have a look at whatever mysterious stuff they had to be sure it was safe. Or another great way to illustrate uh, an air gapped computer, which probably many people would understand, is you remember that bit in Mission exactly. Impossible when yes. Tom Cruise comes down on the wires, right? <laughs> dun, and Jean Reynaud is up there with the yeah. rope, isn't he? And he's beginning to sweat and all the rest of it. And he sees a rat. Oh, mm-hmm. I hate rats. He goes and Tom Cruise swoops down and all. It's terribly yeah. exciting. And the reason he had to do that was that the, the room was air gapped. If if, if, the, right. if it wasn't, you could just right. hack in from anywhere in the world. 
So you're saying, you're going to tell me that this mosquito attack is a way of not needing Tom Cruise to come down the ventilation shaft? Well, actually, no. Oh, yeah. kind of. I mean, it sounds like that. So basically, there's a team in uh, Ben Gurion University in Israel. They've been working on this stuff for quite a while now. So early attacks against uh, air gaps, at least five years old. Okay. This is more about getting data out from inside the air gap. And people have shown that you can use sound. So you could make noises in the on the air gap side, and then you could detect those noises on the other side. And you could use those to send signals between two computers. John, what kind of noises would people be making on the air gaps? Well, side? they'd probably be little, little tiny, tiny beeps or clicks that would be like a, a binary. Oh, signal. okay, I see. Um, yes, and they've I done understand. it using, using fan noise. They've done it using <laughs> blinking LEDs on disk drives or routers. They've even done it using heat yes. signatures, so making the Jeez. machine warm up and cool down at predict predictable rates so that the the pattern can be converted into a signature right wow um obviously that one that last one tends to be quite slow (laughs) the um so this most recent one this mosquito attack so this is using uh ultrasonic so people can't hear it which is important because obviously if your highly secure machines suddenly start making weird noises you yeah yeah. concerned but it's also it doesn't require a microphone so what they've done is basically they've taken speakers and using the computer that those speakers are connected to reverse the way they work. So rather than turning electronic signal into sound vibrations, they're taking sound vibrations and turning it back into electronic signal to go Holy into the computer. Moly. So that's, and then they've set up these two machines. They've got a, a cute little video on YouTube with a, they've set up these two computers and they've sent the, an image of a little panda from one machine to the other, just uh-huh. using the sound coming from the two machines. The, actually, the main thing about this is that it's two way. So you have on either side, you're jumping the air gap using this, these two, right. two sets of speakers to communicate between the two machines. Now, the, huh. there are some problems with this, obviously. Um, you need to actually be in control of the machine on the air gap network in the first place. So you still need Tom Cruise to abseil down <laughs> with his USB okay. and stick it in, which Good makes point. it kind of pointless. But obviously, it's, if, it's not, if, if you want to grab something off the machine, you can just do it at that point. But if you, if you want something more long term, yes. then you can get in, get the infection yes. in place and have it sit there and send messages backwards and forwards. And in this demo video, they, they've sent this, it is a, is a bit like ASCII art, really. It's a very low res. It's pretty basic. Yeah. Well, it's uh, because this kind of sending signals this way is not very efficient. You know, you, you, no. you're not sending millions of bytes per second you're sending maybe no of course you're not mm. at most yeah so i've thought of a potential way of securing against this no way no speakers <laughs> just while you've been speaking well there's that obviously but then how are you going to hear when your computer goes Eh-eh. always work always work with heavy metal music playing blaring how are you going to listen to smashing security podcast while you're in the secure room <laughs> yes Right, no, no, no. So I'm not going to say no speakers because we, we need reviews from people working in air-gapped environments, although I'm not sure how they're posting <laughs> to the internet. My idea, it's ultrasonics, right? Get a chihuahua. Every office oh. needs a chihuahua. <laughs> a Maltese, a little Maltese. Or a, or a lovely Maltese. I love Maltese. I love those. A Poobrador. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> it's the opposite of a Labradoodle. <laughs> And it could pick up, it could pick up the high frequencies and go, yep, 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 yep. Maybe if you got one which knew Morse code as well, it could actually yeah. communicate with you. Say, oh, I've just spotted a panda has been sent or something like that. Poopador could be pug in Labrador, actually. Just saying. Could too, yes. That's a poor, poor Labrador. <laughs> poor pug. <laughs> <laughs> 
Roll. <laughs> what's, what's your story for us this week? Well, for my story, gentlemen, we are off to China. China's been in the news a lot recently. They have been making a huge effort in terms of cleaning up pollution. Aside from the mm -hmm. fact that China suffers from a lot of polluted waters, ground and air, it might be spurred on by speculations that they want to be world leader in the electrical car business, which is uh, booming. All right. but, but as we know, okay. not everything is happy, happy, joy, joy in China. Specifically, China's already stronghold on what its 1.4 billion citizens can access and say does seem to be tightening, both in real life and online. So let me introduce you guys to the concept of a citizen score. And I wonder what you guys are going to make of it, whether you think something similar might ever happen in less overtly controlled places like Europe or America. So back in 2014, the State Council of China published a document outlining the construction of a social credit system. According to Wired, the principal question asked in the doc is this. What if there was a national trust score that rated the kind of citizen you were? Now, four years on, this document is much more than a pipe dream. China's social credit system, quote unquote, is looking to launch in a few years time in 2020. So the gist seems to be this, how you behave on popular social media sites, so what you say, show and share, will contribute to your social credit score. Mm -hmm. In other words, can China authorities monitor so much behavior that they can accurately assign a holistic value to a specific individual? So they're looking at everything that you do online, and they're going to give you a score. They're going to think, oh, very complimentary message they've posted there. <laughs> Not so complimentary this. Or, or, for example, they might be interested in if you're a suspect in a crime, for instance, right? Or not just what okay. you post online. So it's real, real world All stuff right. too. Real world stuff too. Now, China has in place this, what we call the Great Firewall. This is designed to control and prevent access to Western news websites and sites like Google, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. These are all really strongly yep. controlled mm. in China. But they have an alternative, the replacement social site called WeChat. And WeChat is seriously popular. Nice. We're talking 902 million daily users. And about 38 billion messages are sent on the platform every day. This is according to The Verge. So this is like Twitter, but this the Chinese version. This is Twitter times a thousand. So on WeChat, you play games, you book meetings, you make video calls, you pay bills, you access bank accounts, you find out local hangouts, you book doctor appointments, you file police reports, you hail cabs. You're hearing me, right? You do everything through this site. Hmm. And more interestingly, WeChat will soon issue virtual ID cards, mm. which individuals will use in lieu of their physical state-issued ID card. Hmm. So this kind of suggests to me that maybe people don't have a lot of choice about using WeChat. Because of these virtual ID cards, yeah. Well, not just the ID cards, but it's so convenient to use this one platform to get everything you need done. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to this, Crow, and I can't believe that Smashing Security isn't on WeChat. <laughs> we, we, why haven't we created an account? Hey, would they let us have that missing G in our name, which Twitter won't let us have? They probably need even shorter names, I expect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, its parent company, Tencent, scored zero out of 100 for WeChat's lack of freedom of speech protection and lack of end-to-end -end encryption in a 2016 oh, Amnesty oh. International report on user privacy it's probably not allowed in zero mm -hmm. out of a hundred i don't want an account anymore and i should say tencent do have a contested reputation for being 
well, in bed with, you know, the government of China, that they may be sharing a lot more data than perhaps is being said. I think if you say someone's in bed with the Chinese government, that probably damages your social <laughs> score as well, Carol. Little bit grubby. Is it a bit grubby? What is episode 69? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so back to our social credit system. Now, there are not a lot of details on how this is going to work exactly. But there, since there's so much information being put on these sites... I think it's fair for us to speculate, maybe, right? So let me give you a few scenarios. So if you were online on a social site told someone to F off, would that mean that you'd lose points? Would that be considered socially mm. rude, right? What if you hearted a picture of a political leader? Yeah, well, then you probably lose those points as soon as they go out of power. Then. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Uh, or what if you connected unwittingly with a suspicious individual or a suspect? You may not know that, and it might occur. To, I don't even know if you would know what your score is. Do you get mm. to watch the score? Oh, Isn't I'm that a sure bit black could, mirror? Sure remember, yes. and you kind of see this number up and go up and down. Remember, great. I wonder what would have happened to my score when Piers Morgan blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> they would have gone up, probably. Now, okay, so this is all the WeChat and the social credit system, and we're going to probably find out more as, as we get closer to their launch. But tie this announcement with this, this news that came out um, today. At a border near Beijing, Chinese authorities are currently testing out the use of smart glasses to identify through facial recognition who's naughty and who's nice. So these are AI-powered glasses made by LL Vision, and they pick up facial features and car registration plates and then match them in real time with databases of suspects. Right? Mm. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on your human face forever. I think that's a little bit harsh. <laughs> well, basically, so what China's implementing here is what you were asking for earlier. It's a, a way of rating people who are reviewing you. A lot of sites have that already. So you have, you can see the reviewers and it says whether they're, a, you know, a regular or they're a newbie or things like that. And it's basically just an extension of that. So you're saying you think it's okay. The state controls and allocates points based on behavior online and offline. It's, yeah. It kind of depends what you get for those points. You know, if, if at the end of the year, you, your, your points are nice and high and they say, here's a, here's a, you know, a free sandwich or something. <laughs> Oh, free sandwiches. Yeah, that does sound nice, actually. And if your points are kind of low, they say, oh, please try harder to be nice in your reviews on online. Then that that's great. Jo John, you have been in China recently, haven't you? I have. Yes. Yes. What did you make of everything of, you know, being able to connect online and everything? Um, I, I was actually, I found it much easier than I'd expected, to be honest. There were obviously quite a few um, Google, especially Google Facebook Big big foreign services tend to be blocked on local systems, but as a foreigner, I had a phone, so I could just use my my three G connection to to go anywhere I wanted. Oh, I see. You didn't use convenient Wi Fi hotspots, John. You just think, oh, this is very handy. My hotel is offering me this. You you stayed on three G, did you? Well, as much as possible, yeah, because things worked, and the, on the Wi Fi, a yeah. lot of stuff was blocked. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, the thing is, did you use a VPN while you were out there? Yes, I did. That's obviously something that most internet savvy people are doing to try and bypass all these blocks that are put up to sites like Google, mm -hmm. Facebook, etc. China is actively, however, cracking down on the use of VPNs. And according to the BBC, Beijing ordered its state-owned ISPs, which you were probably connected to, China Mobile, China Unicorn, and China Telecom, to block access to unauthorized mm -hmm. VPNs. And the thing is, can you trust the authorized VPNs? Because yes. what have they had to do to allow China to say, fine. oh, yeah, you can use that mm -hmm. VPN. 
<clears throat> no problem with that one. Exactly. And you just can't help but wonder if there's lots more VPNs coming on the market only to try to make sure that they're not listed on the list of VPNs that might be blocked. The government's also even demanded that shopping websites like Alibaba remove references to VPNs on their site. So basically, don't sell them, don't talk about it. Hush, hush. Mm. I wonder if we have any listeners in China. You might be able to give us some perspective on all of this. We'd love you to get in touch. We'd love some information on that. Because you can speak more knowledgeably about this than uh, probably... Than I can. Thank you very much. No, no, it's <laughs> no, good. I, no, no, I no, agree. No, I'm not. I'm not saying... What I am saying, though, is if they begin scoring people based on their social media activity and whether they've said something which might be considered anti-government, for instance, it might be tempting to install some kind of little bot or something which does automatically yes. like or heart or retweet or re-WeChat or whatever the phrase is, uh, people in power uh, inside the Chinese authorities and uh, show that you're a model citizen and then just occasionally pepper <sighs> what you really think. Yeah. Follow Graham's advice. I'm sure no harm will come. <laughs> this episode of Smashing Security is sponsored by LastPass. LastPass simplifies password management for companies of every size. But it isn't just for enterprises. It's equally a great solution for business, teams, families, and single users. Learn more at smashingsecurity.com forward slash LastPass. And welcome back. And it's our favorite time of the show, part of the show which we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. It could be a funny story, a book they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, an app, a website, a podcast. Whatever doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Shouldn't be. And my Pick of the Week this week is... Um, have ever of you mastered the Rubik Cube? John, you seem like the sort of person who would have wasted away your... I'm your so insulted. Okay, no, <laughs> I haven't. But I don't know why you would say... If any of you, John, of course, you know, because you have no, a penis. No, no, no. You no, must no. have been able to do it. You don't actually use that. But yeah. <laughs> It's mainly a hand thing, the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> No, the reason is, Carol, is that I thought you probably had an active social life. And maybe John, coming from Cornwall, <laughs> nice would save. be less likely. No, that's why I said it. Just for the record, just, I've only done two sides of a Rubik's Cube. I've never been able okay. to do it. That's about the same as me. I think I have done a whole one at some point in the past. Really? Probably a long, long time ago. Well, I bet you haven't done it in 0.38 seconds. Whoa. Well, no, that would spoil the fun entirely. <laughs> you haven't even, you can't even blink that fast. <laughs> Because there are a couple of dudes, Ben Katz and Jared DiCarlo, and they have built a robot that can solve a mixed-up, messed-up Rubik's Cube in world record time, smashing the previous record. Mm. Well, it won't take you much time to watch that video, I guess, No, <laughs> of them solving it. Well, what they do, actually, so we've we put a link to the video in the show notes, so you guys can watch it right now, if you like. Solving in three, two, one. <laughs> okay, it's over. It's, over. it's already over. Yeah, but then they show it in slow motion. Yeah. Now, a typical Rubik's Whoa. Cube takes about 19 to 23 turns. They reckon that they could actually make this even faster. They can make it 0.25 seconds. And it's quite interesting. You can read all about it on their blog where they've talked about their contraption, which they've built. Cool. And they got a couple of webcams to view the cube from different angles. They could- yeah, the video's done quite well, actually. And it's yeah. only 30 seconds long. And I think they go through it a number of times. <laughs> they really explain exactly what they're doing in that 30 seconds. I don't think that's an official Rubik's Cube. 
The ones I had were always very kind of sticky and they get jammed up very easily. Well, in the video, you'll see that sometimes things go wrong. And they I didn't notice that. It was so fast. They destroyed a number of Rubik's Cubes. Well, exactly. See, they're fragile. Cool. Good pick of the week, Graham. Pick of the week. John, what's your pick of the week? So, I was wondering, Graham, this sounds like something you might know. How much real estate would a million dollars get you in Monaco compared to Cape Town? Oh. Any ideas? Well, Monaco is going to be more expensive, surely. Exactly, yes. It's quite a lot. Cape Town's meant to be quite nice, too. but yeah. Well, no, but it'll get you almost ten times as much for your, really? for your buck. Uh-huh. A million dollars in Monaco would get you 16 square metres, and in Cape Town, <laughs> 157. Oh. And you're wondering why? how I know that, right? Yes, because you're so smart. So it's because I get an email every day from a site called Statista, who are a bunch of statistic freaks, and they like to send out all these... Uh, daily updates that I subscribe to on just random bits of information, basically. Okay, I'm going to the site. Hang on, John, you sign up for this useless... It's a great... It's very entertaining. It's not uh, How long have you been signed up? How long? How long have you been I would say at least two years. Oh, my goodness. And every morning I go and have a little look. It's just a little infographic, a little graph or something. And I go, oh, that's interesting. So it's not always about real estate prices. Oh, no, 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 no. It's everything. No, no it's, it's a lot of it actually is kind of digital stuff. So right. finances of the big tech firms and users of different social media sites and all kind of matched against each other and put into perspective. There's a great one. Carol, you're going to love this one, I think. This was in the last few days, I think. So Bob Ross... Yes. The host of The Joy of Painting. Yep. They have a great infographic of different items that he's likely to have in one of his paintings. Apparently, you have a a 56% chance of a deciduous tree compared to 53% chance of a conifer tree. Welcome back. I'm certainly glad you decided to spend a half hour with us today. I think you'll enjoy the little painting we're going to do, and I hope you take the time to paint along. Or you pull up your old easy chair and just relax with us. I thought today we'd just... (laughs) I love that. You're more likely to have two mountains in one of his pictures than a single man-made structure. Oh. There you go. I was wondering, John, why you signed up for this thing. Now I'm wondering... I really who, can't remember. Who is it that is collecting this data? Well, is watching Bob called... Ross videos and working out what kind of trees he's just drawn? Well, I don't know. So I think a lot of the stuff that they, they pull in kind of data from various different sources, either from people that have done academic research or... Just... Academic research on Bob Ross pictures? <laughs> Possibly. John, <laughs> or, this is crazy. Any, any, it's, not, it, it's coming from all kinds of different sources. It's quite a big firm, this statistic. And the other thing that I wanted to mention this week, because this is what, what made me think great. of it this week, they've recently put out a thing called their Digital Economy Compass 2018, right. which is basically a bunch of their standard infographics put together in a kind of massive, I think it's 220 pages or something. Just hundreds of little graphs and charts all about the digital economy. It's fascinating. I have just bookmarked the page, Graham. So you should too. I thought it was great. Oh. Percentage of females aged over 75 who with hypertension. Exactly. Bet you want to know. You need to know, right? <laughs> it's almost 80%. What's the link? I need to know that right now. It's statista.com. Oh, easy. Yeah. One more for you. Yep. Apple has enough money offshore sitting waiting to do do something to buy every single one of their 132,000 employees a Bugatti. <gasps> John, I think that's a great pick of the week. I, I think it sounds very interesting. I'll go and check it out. Carol, what's your pick of the week? 
Okay, let me start with the story first. I was at a meeting, and this guy stood up at the meeting to show a video he'd been working on. And the video loaded up on the guy's YouTube. So he basically put the video on a YouTube channel and said it was private and then was going to show the group. All right. And he was asked to access the channel from the computer connected to the display or the presentation screen. You mm-hmm. with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as he's like logging in and looking for the video, we're watching the screen and he gets to his account and is searching for the video on YouTube. And while he's doing all this, we are looking at his up next section of his YouTube channel mm-hmm. with recommendations of videos on display. And mm-hmm. many of these were what we would call NSFW, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. And I kind of felt for the guy, right? So anyway, fast forward to a few days ago, I'm scanning Reddit's No Stupid Questions sub and see this question from Handle Absar. Is there a way to stop certain video suggestions on YouTube? I watched like three Flat Earth videos so I could have a good laugh. And now 90% of the recommended videos are from Flat Tarts, quote unquote. Flat flat Tarts? Flat Tarts. Quote unquote, quote unquote. (laughs) The famous Flat Tart community. (laughs) So lots of people replied to this guy. uh, But one called Trillicon gave great advice, which I'm going to share with you here. All you need is to curate your history and recommendations. So let me summarize the advice for you. First, on YouTube, go to history. Delete any recent videos that you don't want recommended to you in the future. Start with big hitters, like over a million views, because they really skew your recommendations. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Second, in your up next section, if you see the videos that are lined up in your up next sessions, right beside them, you can see a column of three dots right next to your recommendations. Um, If you click on that, choose not interested from that list and select tell us why. And tell them, I don't want recommendations based on this video. Third, consider watching videos with over a million views in some form of private browser because they have such an impact on recommendations they provide you. If you'd rather watch a video that has lots of views that you don't want to recommend to you in future, do it in a private browsing session. And four, only like videos that you're actually interested, which seems pretty easy, right? That's a duh option, but I'm sure lots of people don't think that way. So if you do like a video, say yes, give me more of this, please. Right. And there you go. So thank Mm. you very much, Trillicon. And now many, many presenters around the world who have to open up YouTube on a display can clean up. I mean, the best way to do it is have two accounts, I'd say. Have a business account and a personal account. That's the way I'd handle it, personally. But there you go. Cool. That's a very practical pick of the week. Well done, you. Very useful. There you go. It's not only a pick of the week, but a tip of the week. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Smash Insecurity without a G. Twitter didn't let us have a G. We are on Facebook uh, in the Smash Insecurity podcast group. We've got a store, smashinsecurity.com slash store. And, uh, oh, the other thing I need to do is, John, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. If people want to know more about you and so how should they get in touch with you? Uh, you can reach me at info at amtso.org. Fantastic. Perfect. Well, thank you at home for tuning in. If you like the show, please give us a rate and positive review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> it really does help new listeners discover the show. And you can check out past episodes at smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Adieu. Après ma lèche de douche. 